It's a good thing. Well, man, it is, it is uh, good to be here with, with everyone, and, and uh, man, I, I can't tell you how much I, I'm, I'm thankful for this church and what they mean to, to my family, to myself, uh, Sam's uh, tutelage, and, and just time with him over the years. And like Eric, I, I, could, I could say that, that my uh, time with, with Pastor Sam has, has been uh, rich and, and uh, a blessing and, and long. It's been a, it's been a good season. So uh, thankful for, for Sam and thankful for the pastors here and the, the, uh, the church that God planted. And, and because of that, we have a church in Lee Summit as well. And so uh, it's just a blessing. We're, we're rich uh, in Christ, and so uh, thankful for it. Um, man, I, I, I was driving in here from, from Lee Summit, and, and uh, we're on 71 Highway heading towards uh, Midtown, and we're about to turn on 39th Street, and my daughter, she's nine, she says, um, why, is there, why is there spray paint everywhere? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I try to explain it, and, and, and uh, then... Uh, she goes, why is, it, why is it here? And my, my, my middle son, Ezra, he goes, no one knows. No one knows. <laughs> so, so my kids have now become completely uh, suburbanites, right? We, we, we spray paint, graffiti. We're like, what's that? <laughs> my eldest is just shaking his head like, oh, come on. You know. But uh, what's, what's with the spray paint everywhere? Ezra's like, no one knows. No one knows. He might be right. I don't know. Uh, no, it is, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I was actually with the uh, Kaya, uh, the, the, the Kaya Fellowship uh, at the fall retreat uh, a couple weeks ago, so you guys are probably getting tired of me, but uh, that was a blessing to be down there. Uh, I, got, I, I got to tell you a funny story. So um, we're singing this great song, and, uh, and, and I'm singing, I'm like, man, this is a fantastic song, and I'm in the back. And I, I turn around, and, and our worship pastor and, and, and young adults pastor uh, was behind me. I, I said, who, who wrote this song? And, he, and, he, and I'm looking back at him, and he says, Seth Rogen. And, I was, <laughs> and I'm looking back, and I'm, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just like, what are you talking about? But, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to sing, so I'm like, I'm like okay, okay. You know, like, that's weird. So now my head's kind of like, what in the world? But he says it with... with every bit of confidence. I was like, okay, you know. And so, well, then I get home from, from the fall retreat, and, and it's still in my head. I'm like, this is such a good song. And so, I start looking up the lyrics, and there's nothing popping up. I'm like, I'm like man, I, this isn't the song. And so, you know, I, I'm looking. And so, I, I, I text one of the worship leaders from, from Kaya. I say, who, who wrote this song? And he goes, well, I did. Well, Seth Harper wrote it. So I'm old, and I can't hear because Blade Spiza, he says, Seth wrote it, and I heard Seth Rogen, and so <laughs> I'm like an idiot, guys. Like, like it, it was bad, and, for, and like for real, I thought he said Seth Rogen. He said Seth wrote it, and so anyway, it's a great song. I don't know if you guys have sung it here, but one of his most recent songs, uh, so <laughs> I don't think Seth Rogen has had a Christian period of his life. Uh, <laughs> Which, was just, which is why I was a little bit troubled. But uh, that has nothing to do with anything besides I love you guys and uh, Seth Harper's a great musician. Uh, so anyway, you guys ready? Okay, uh, let's pray. We're gonna get into the word today. Uh, Father, we, we do love you. And, uh, and God, I, I am thankful for all the musicians and the, uh, 
and those who lead us in worship, what a gift they are to, to your body. What a gift they are to this church that we have people who are so skilled and, man, they, they've, they've worked on their craft of worshiping you with their words and, and with their bodies and with instrument and song. Uh, Lord, we praise you for just how richly you have blessed us as your people. God, today I know that I need you and uh, there's nothing that I can, I can say to this great people that would be worthy uh, of your high name. But Lord, we're going to spend time in your book, in your words. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead this conversation, that it would lead this time together. Not only for myself, Lord, but for, for everyone that's here this morning. God, I pray that you would give us hearts ready to receive your word and to walk it out. That it wouldn't just be a service, but that it would truly be an encounter. And if that's the case, Lord, uh, that God, that we would actually realize that if you're meeting with us, something has to give, something has to change. And so God, please have your way. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you guys would, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6. I've been teaching on the pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Some would even include Philemon in that. I've been teaching pastoral epistles uh, in LFBI, and, and we just finished this week with 1 Timothy 6, and, and as I was teaching that, I just felt that there was more that, that God was, was speaking to me regarding that passage, and so I wanted to share that with you this morning. And so again, if you can, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. To provide some context, Paul wrote 1 Timothy between his first and second imprisonment. It was written while he was in Laodicea. And this is the first of his letters that were written with the pastor in mind. He gives great insights into the responsibilities and care of the pastorate, providing not only instruction for those who shepherd, but for the entire body of Christ, namely as it relates to God's plan for his church. I know sometimes when, when you think about the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and, and Philemon, uh, when you think about those books, what you, what you sometimes can think, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. That's not for me. Uh, that, so, so this is good advice, but that's not for me. I want to tell you right now that if you have a desire to, to operate or to work in any kind of shepherding context, I'm talking discipleship, I'm talking uh, mentorship, uh, small group Bible study, ministry fellowship, maybe God is calling you to the pastorate, these books are incredibly important for your growth and maturation in the Lord. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't even know if I'm called to those things. Well, if you are breathing today, or possibly if you, you know, you're, you're a parent, you have some influence in some person's life, I'm telling you, God has called you to shepherd in some manner. He's called you to lead in some manner. Whatever that is, I don't know, but I know that God has a plan for your life in these books. In 1 Timothy also you see, and this is a critical thing that you want to get this down, not only for, for today's study, but, but, but just in your spiritual growth. In 1 Timothy we see that Paul is presented as the pattern. He is the pattern. You might hear that in, 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 in churches and, and especially here that, that Paul is the pattern for the believer. But listen, that's not just a, 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 a saying, that's not just dogma, that's biblical is that Jesus Christ has shown from his word, he's shown us that, that Paul is the pattern for the believer. 
not only for Timothy, not only for leaders of the church, but it's God's desire that all believers look to Paul as the pattern for the church. As Paul has, has molded his life to look like Christ, we are to look to Paul as the pattern for the believers of the church today. Like, I don't know if I believe you yet. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, it says, How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That's you guys. That's me. Paul is the pattern for the church today. So when we read this book, we understand Paul is not just giving good advice to Timothy. Well, Timothy was his son in the Lord. He's a pastor. And so it wasn't just that Paul was giving good advice for Timothy. God is using Paul's life, his words, as they were molded by Christ to become the pattern for all of us who believe. And so when we look at these books, we go, wow, you have something for me today. In some way, you want to teach me how I can shepherd others as well in the body of Christ or even in my own family. And so this means that Paul's counsel to Timothy, what we read in 1 Timothy, is just as valid today as it was then. It's just as valid for you and I as it was for Timothy. If you would, just to provide even more context, if we were to look at the overview of 1 Timothy, it's broken down into six chapters, and and I'm going to provide six different points that we can look at. Not surprising, when you look at 1 Timothy, it begins by, Paul begins by saying that there is a need for sound doctrine. Notice that sound doctrine was not chapter 2. It was in chapter 3, 4, 5. No, it was chapter 1. Paul wants Timothy to know that that the foundation of his gospel ministry, the foundation of any Bible-believing church must be sound doctrine. And so he presents that as, as on the forefront. He follows that with the powerful role of prayer and how that should exist in the lives of the believers, in the lives of the church. So we have the foundation of God's word being lived out and pushed through by the power of prayer. Chapter 3, many of you guys know this, but leadership is then revealed as something that can only be given to those who exhibit high character. How many times have you noticed someone who you think, man, this person has, has leadership potential and, and you just can see it? Not if they don't have high character. Not if they don't have high character. Too often we, we focus on on these external things and and they have charisma, they can control a room and and people are drawn to them like a magnet and you say, wow, this person has has leadership potential, not without high character, no. In chapter four, there's a warning against apostasy and so Paul is walking Timothy, Timothy through all of these different areas of need and concern for the pastorate. In chapter five, he gives instruction on how to minister to different parts of the body how can you minister to, to those who are young, the elders in the faith, your, your brothers, your sisters in the faith? And then lastly, chapter 6, and this is where we're going to hone in our study. We see Paul showing Timothy that we have to have an eternal focus in our work and our relationships. And so this is where we're going to land today, 1 Timothy chapter 6. At first glance, if, if, you've re, if you've read this passage before, it may feel like, Paul is, is just kind of making 
some concluding remarks. Have you guys ever read any of Paul's letters and, and, and the, the last chapter, it kind of feels sometimes like, like, hey, and greet this person, hug this person, kiss this person, don't talk to that guy. You know, and it's just kind of like he's, he's walking us through all of these kind of closing remarks, and that's, that's normal and it's valid. I think sometimes we can look at chapter six that same way and think that maybe Paul is just kind of, he's kind of closing up shop, if you will, for 1 Timothy. He's speaking of, of servants and masters, the relationship between servants and masters. He's speaking of, of teachers, good and bad teachers. He's teaching, he, he's, he speaks of soldiers and even those who are rich. On the surface, again, it can feel like a laundry list, it's just a laundry list of, of kind of independent statements. Have you guys ever realized that, that after you read the Bible a, a, a few times that, that some of the things that seem like they're, they're disparate or separate all of a sudden you realize, oh wow, God was really, he was painting a picture and I just couldn't see it. I think sometimes we read the Bible like that. I know I do. First Timothy 6, on, on, at first glance, it has that feeling of like, okay, well let's talk about this, let's, let's talk about this, and it seems like he's just kind of walking us through. As we study this passage today, my, my hope and my goal is that we can see how this chapter is actually working in tandem uh, with a central theme and focus. As we look closer upon closer examination, as Paul closes his letter, I believe this is what he's trying to conclude by saying. He's reminding Timothy that he needs to be a man who is focused on an eternal investment rather than a temporary reward. This is the, the final closing statement as we walk through these different categories, what Paul is trying to reveal to Timothy and what he's hoping Timothy will reveal in his churches is that we have to be a people who are focused on an eternal investment rather than temporal rewards. Listen, if we are going to be serious about the work of God in whatever station God has placed you, no matter, no matter if you are just coming here for, the, for a few weeks, if you've been here for a couple years, if, 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 if you are, uh, maybe you're discipling someone, maybe you're a small group leader, a, a ministry fellowship head, or one of the pastors, no matter what station you find yourself in today, if you want to be serious about the work of God, it is going to require that your focus, that my focus, that our focus is not on the things of this world but rather that we are eternally and singularly minded on his mission. We must have a singular mind on the mission of God. And listen, guys, I'll tell you, the American church has duped you. It, 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 and it's duped all of us. The American church has told us that we need to have a focus on the family and we need to have a focus on our work and we need to have a focus on the church and we need to have a focus on this. And, and, and so the good Christian has a balance between all those things. And well, you know, the word of God says that, that if you don't provide for your, 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 your family, you're worse than an infidel. And so we, we latch onto verses like that, which by the way are, are true. And so, well, I, I'm going to really focus on my family and I'm going to focus on my work because I got to provide for my family and, and I'll, I'm going to be in the church Listen, and so what you've done then is you set up multiple agendas. 
And, and this is something I've been trying to instruct uh, my, my, the church at Living Faith. And one of the things I've, I've, I've tried to focus on is, listen, we have to get away from the notion. We have to get the way, away from the notion of having multiple missions, family, church, job, whatever. And we have to change the dynamic of this to this. We have to see them all through a central lens. There's one mission. It's the Great Commission. There's one mission that God has given you. Listen, you're saying, well, well the first institution God ever formed was, was, was the family. And yet in this dispensation, what we know is that if you want to be part of God's good work, if you want to be part of that, of that work of God, then you need to get your family in the church. That, see, that's what we're talking about. But see, we, we, have compartment, we have compartments. And we have all of our different compartments. And so we're looking for balance. Listen, you don't balance one thing. You balance two things. Whenever you have two things, that's when we balance something. But when every part of my life is central and singularly focused on the mission of God, I don't need to balance. And so everything is finding its, 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 its form within the mission of God. And so, so well, well, how do I make sure that I do all these things? If I'm centrally focused on the mission, then I'm gonna be the dad that I need to be. And I'm gonna be the worker that I need to be. And I'm gonna be the husband that God has called me to be. I don't have to try to, try to spin all these plates. It's the mission of God and that's it. That's it. Colossians 3, one and two, it says this, if ye be risen with Christ, what Paul is saying, if this is true of you, if ye then be risen with Christ, if this, is, if this is true of you, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If this is who you say you are, you claim to be risen with Christ, you claim to be born again, you claim to, to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if this is who you say you are, please get this down, then the motivation of your heart needs to match the residence of our Lord. The motivation, the affection, the desire of your heart. Notice I didn't say affections. Notice I didn't say desires. Notice I didn't say motivations. I said the motivation, the singular affection of your heart, it must match, it must find its home in the residence of our Lord. To be found in God's work, the desires of my heart must find themselves submitted and resting themselves in the house of God. I'm not speaking of some church building. I'm saying, where is God? Find that place. Be there, exist there, have your heart dwell there. My affection needs to rest where God resides. So then, am I temporally minded? Am I, mi am I minded on just the here and now? Or is my affection set on the affections of my God? Let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter six, it says this, let as many servants 
as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, man, that's, that's incredible, right? Wouldn't you today, like, like how many of you guys are, are happy that you, 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 you work for a believer, right? Like, it, it's such a good thing. Like, man, I'm so gifted in, by God that I get to work for a believer, right? But not all, pe- not all people have that. And so if we go back to the beginning, it says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. It's like, wow, so, so even when you work for someone who, who doesn't know the Lord, you have an opportunity as a servant, as an employee, to actually make much of the name of Christ in that setting. But then he says, and they that have believing masters, wow, that's great, right? Let them not despise them. <laughs> Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. And you go, well, why would a believer, why would a, why would a, a servant, why would he despise his master, especially if he's a believer? Listen, guys, it is estimated that approximately half of the Roman Empire in the first century was, com- was comprised of slaves. Half of the Roman Empire were slaves. And, and, and one would argue historically that, that most accounts did not look like the men stealing that was present in our current uh, situation and what still exists today with, 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 with child trafficking and sex trafficking. That's men stealing and what we even have in our own history. And, but here's the deal. Uh, let's, not, let's not just, you know, make it a simple notion of like, well, this was just an employee working for, you know, a boss. There's a lot of scenarios in the early first century of the Roman Empire where um, if you were a servant or a slave, it, that was a hard task. <laughs> that was a difficult setting. And so it is estimated that half of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Listen, this would have been a real issue for the early church. This would have been a real issue for many new believers in the faith. And then especially for those whose master was a believer. You see, whereas before, there would have been no cultural crossover from the servant to the master. There would have been no crossover between the servant and the master. In Christ, the master and servant were now brothers. Now that's crazy. That's what the church does. That's what the church does. That's what the gospel does. And so, but, but, but even still, even though that's so cool, it was also kind of hard. That was kind of a difficult thing to navigate. In Christ, the, the master and the servant were now brothers. They were one in Christ, equal in every spiritual way. But during the work week, you were, sub, uh, you were uh, subservient to this person. On Sundays, you're supposed to sing and pray and, and you're reading the word of God together. Servants with masters, we're all one body. We're all part of the same body of Christ. Do you guys see how this would have been hard? Hard to navigate? I thought we were, I thought we were one in Christ. I thought we were equal. And so now they're, they're navigating through this situation. And listen, Timothy would have needed to have wisdom. Paul, Paul realized that, hey, we need to have this conversation. He would have had to have wisdom on how to deal with this new paradigm. So listen, listen, 
in light of that historical context, how, how was the servant to view this great inequality in light of the cross? How was the servant to view this, this seemingly great inequality in light of what just happened at the cross? If we're now equals with Christ, uh, in Christ, if we're now all equal in Christ, the servant says, why do I have less? And maybe we've thought the same thing today. You look at your brothers in Christ, maybe you look at people that are, that are over you in ministry, and, and you're thinking, man, if we're equal, then, then, then why is it that I have less? Why does it seem as if, like, nothing's changed? I know God saved me, and now we're all together part of the body of Christ, and we say that we're equal, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. Listen. From a temporal perspective, the servant says, I can't see. From a temporal perspective, the servant says, I can't see how my blessings are matching the blessings of those around me. What's going on? I'm struggling to get food on the table. I'm struggling to provide for my family. And all I can see around me is plenty. Everyone around me, uh, there's people that that in the church, even without, man, they're blessed. They have all the resources they need, and I'm just looking at it going, man, what gives? Do you guys see this problem? I believe it exists today as well. And frankly, the servant says, if I were to be honest with you, I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with jealousy. I don't know how to navigate this. And honestly, I, I might even be mad at God. I might be mad at God for this. If you would, turn to Psalm 73, if you can have a, a, a finger for Timothy 6 as well. But Psalm 73, we're going to read a few of these verses. It's one of my favorite psalms. It says, a psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel. Even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have any of you guys ever felt that way? Yeah, yeah, me too. I was envious. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, why do they get all the good things? Why does it always seem to work out for them? They don't even love you, God. They're thumbing their nose at you. Verse 12, it says, behold. When you see that word behold in the Bible, you know what it's saying? Look, look here, pay attention. You know, you know the, the old English uh, uh, way of, of saying behold is beholden. Beholden, it means my, my whole body, my, my, I'm beholden by it. It's not just like, look at that. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm fixed on it. Asaph is, is telling God, hey, I need you to look right here. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the wicked. He's just, he's just saying, look, look around. These are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in, in innocency. 
For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. I got saved, I was following God, and I'm I'm doing all the things that I know I'm supposed to do, and I look around, and nothing's changed for them, and nothing's changed for me. Am I doing this all for naught? Is this just a game I've been playing? I've been trying to trick myself into having a better life, and then I look around, and it really hasn't happened? What gives? Again, from a temporal perspective, why is it that so many others, believers or otherwise, why is it that so many others have more than me? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to ask another question. Where does your treasure come from? Why is it that so many else, so many other people are prospering? I gave my life to you, God, and yet I, all I have is, is heartache and disappointment and, and struggle. Well, that means we've got to ask another question. Where is your treasure coming from? Secondly, and this might be just as important, where does your deficiency come from? Not only, not only where, is, where is my treasure, but in what way do I estimate that I'm actually deficient? Where does my deficiency come from? Genesis 15, 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. It's the first mention of that word reward. In fact, there's a lot of first mentions in this verse. It's, It's a great verse in Genesis. Whenever you see a first mention in your Bible, what you realize is that God is defining a word. And so if this is the first time we see reward and he says, I am your reward, what should we take from that? That God's our reward. That he's my treasure. And so if God is my reward and yet I still feel as if I'm deficient, what gives? What gives? It might might mean that in some way I'm hoping to be filled or I'm hoping to have some type of satisfaction from what this world can offer. Again, the real question is this. What do you have less of? Have you guys ever thought, man, I feel like I'm failing, I feel like I'm losing, I feel like I, I have less than everyone else around? Well, then let's ask the question, less of what? What do you have less of? Do you have less of Christ? Do you have less of his word? Do you have less of the eternal rewards that he's promised? Or is it simply that you have less money? Is it simply that you have less resource? Is it simply that you have less of a temporary value? Do you guys see where our focus is? Psalm 73 verses 16 and 17 says this, and man, I've been here. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Have you guys ever been in your walk with God and you start thinking on the the affairs of this life, you start thinking on the world, and it just hurts? And you feel like you're losing? And it feels like you joined the wrong team? You know in your heart, you know in your heart what God did. You know in your heart what, what God, and, and, and you're a believer now and, and you're saved. You're not going to turn from that, but man, there's times you're just thinking, 
I don't know if this is working. I don't know if this is working. Asaph says, when I thought to know this, what is he saying to know this? When I thought on the wicked, when I thought on those who are prospering, when I thought on, on everyone who has all the abundance, all, all the, the resources, when I thought on it, it was too painful. It just hurt too much. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they're like, I just can't talk about it right now? Is it because they forgot? I, I, hold on, let me take a second. Like, oh yeah, that was bad. No, they're like, I just can't. Maybe some other time we can talk. It's just too painful right now. That's Asaph. He says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, when I meet with God, and when Asaph met with God, he says, now I can see. It all makes sense. It didn't make sense, but now it does. It all makes sense once again. And listen, you gotta get this servant. We're in 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. We're talking about servants and masters. The servant needs to realize that his worth is found in the Lord and his work is unto the Lord. His work, the work that he did for his master, lost or saved, was to the furtherance of the gospel. You got to know this, servant. <coughs> Sorry. You got to know this. I'm used to having lapel, so I always try to cover up from coughing, and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this, this thing? Psalm 73, let's continue. Verse 21. Now check this out. What, what, what just happened in verse 17? We, we just read it. Asaph is now coming to a conclusion, right? He's starting to see, right? His vision ha has, has improved. He, he was looking from a temporal perspective. Now listen to his words in verse 21. He says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. What changed? His perspective, his vision, his sight. My flesh and my heart faileth. He's saying, listen, it's hard. It's still hard. My flesh and my, fa my, my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works." Wow, wow. It was only when Asaph communed with God and he reset his worship. It was by communing with the Lord that his worship was reset, 
that he was able to see the error of his temporal, carnal perspective. Listen, y'all, the world didn't change. His circumstances didn't change. There was nothing that changed about the situation that he was in. But when he met with God, his view did. His view changed. He realized that his service, right servant? His service was actually good. This is a good thing that God has me doing. Even in spite of the wicked that surround him. And so we see that this, this, this chapter starts off with how we should have the right perspective as a servant. We then continue and Paul then, he warns Timothy of, of false teachers and and it seems like a shift of the topic, doesn't it? it? Like, what are we talking about? Teachers now. Servants and masters, let's talk about teachers. But once again, if you, if you read this passage, if you slow down a little bit, what you'll realize is that once again, the topic is money. It's money. It's a temporal focus. This is the crux of the matter. Paul is guiding us through a journey of this chapter and he's showing us that everything that we're gonna talk about, the crux of the matter, is a temporal focus. It's a temporal mind. Verse three, it says this. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that what? Gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us, there be, let us be there with content. So Paul starts off the chapter dealing with servants and masters. He's now beginning to, to talk to Timothy about teachers, good and bad teachers. And you know what he's telling Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, as a teacher of God's word, you can't get caught up in this stuff. You can't get caught up in these temporal pursuits. You can't get caught up in all of these different things. He says, Timothy, if you're going to teach anything, you need to teach the words of Christ and you need to teach the doctrine of godliness. And what you'll find when, when, when you study that out, well, the words of Christ, well, that's the Gospels. He says, Timothy, teach the words of Christ. And then we can see the doctrine that, that is according to godliness. Well, that's the Pauline epistles. Timothy, if you're going to teach something, teach this. The impetus of these words to Timothy was for Timothy to know how and what he should teach. And so as teachers of the word of God, what is our message? Well, everyone goes, well, we know our message. If you have a singular focus, you do. But if you are not singularly minded on the mission, I'm telling you, especially in the church today, the focus of the message is not simply on the words of Christ and the doctrine of godliness. So what is your message? Because your message will be where your feet are pointing. Your message will be what's, what is the desire of your heart. 
And so what is our message and what should our motivation be? Am I getting lost? Well, I'm not a teacher. Listen, yes, you are. Yes, you are. In some capacity, there is someone that God wants to use in your life so that you could teach them about him. Whether you're a parent, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're here in the church, small group, discipleship, ministry fellowship, pastor, I don't really care. You have an opportunity to teach others the word of God. And so are you going to get lost in the evil surmisings? The perverse disputings, the doting about questions and strivings of words? Or am I going to teach the wholesome words of the gospel? Am I going to teach the doctrine of godliness? Paul keeps going and he says, listen, you can't be motivated, teacher, by the gains or the temporal victories of this world. You're like, well, well, what does that even mean? Listen, for so many of us, we are motivated by by the effects or the gains that are present in this time, in this age, in our life. Man, if if your life is going well, if your job is going well, if your family's going okay, it's easy to look around and see the gains, financial, mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever. We look at the gains of life and we go, Man, this is good. It's easy for us to, to, to be focused and find contentment in the gains of this life. And we can be motivated by the gains and the temporal victories of this world. But your gains can't become your godliness. And I believe many times we confuse the two. That when things are going well or, there's, or we are amassing something, that God's in it, and sometimes he is, but it can't be how we define the presence of God's blessing in our lives. That cannot be how we define the presence of God's blessing in us. The size of our church, the size of your ministry fellowship, the size of your small group can't bring you peace. And I believe too often we are looking for those things to find our peace. We look for the things that that, that we can amass. We cannot be motivated by the number of people in the pews. The nickel and noses can't be our driving focus. The larger church, the bigger budget, the greater reach cannot be the goal. Nor can that be the only reflection of whether a church is a healthy one or not. Now listen, a healthy family grows. Do you guys know that? That's a good thing. A healthy family grows. A healthy church is growing in number because we're obeying the Great Commission. But that cannot be the only reflection. That cannot be the only indication of God's presence or of His blessing in our lives. I can point you to a lot of big churches. And I think we know what, where I'm going with that that are not following the Word of God. What I'm trying to show you today, whether it's in the church or in your own life, is that we cannot put our confidence, nor can we find our contentment on the gains of this world. Because here's the deal, if that's your structure of living, if that's the way that you view this world, what happens when God takes it all away? Is He still good? 
are you still content? See, the reality is, is that if my contentment is found in the gains of this life, what happens when he takes it all away? Well, then I'm not content. And typically what follows a heart that's not content is what? Covetousness. And covetousness is likened to idolatry. And idolatry is likened to witchcraft. I don't think we want that. Rather than, as it relates to us making an eternal investment in the souls of men, we must learn a contentment that comes not from our temporal gains or achievements, not by all the things we amass. Instead, contentment comes, according to 1 Timothy 6, when our lives look like our Lord. If you want to teach something to your kids, if you want to teach something to your coworkers, if you want to teach something in your ministry fellowship and your small group and your discipleship relationship, if you're a pastor here and you want to teach something, I'll tell you, this is what Paul says to teach. Let's teach, man, can we look like Jesus? And if all of a sudden Midtown Baptist Temple is known as a church that finds its contentment, not by the number of people that are here, but by the number of people who say, I just want to look like Jesus. Oh, man. Now that'll be a good place to be. That'll be a good place to be. Once again, if, if a love for money or what this world can give you if that's the problem, and I believe we understand by the Bible the, the, the love for money, that it's the root of all evil. If, if, the love, if a love for money is the problem, then contentment is the answer. As contentment brings satisfaction in our station as it relates to the mission. So in this, it doesn't matter whether you're a servant or a master. It doesn't matter your role in the church. It doesn't matter your occupation no matter your station, right? Because if you're the servant and you're jealous of the master, we realize that my contentment is not being found in Christ. My contentment is being found in the gains or the losses. You see, if, if contentment becomes the answer to my temporal mind, then the thing that I'm focused on now, no matter my station, is the mission. And the mission, yes, the Great Commission is to bring others into the kingdom, but man, really what it is is that we would look like Jesus. In this I learned to stop clamoring for the things that the Lord hasn't given me, knowing that my treasure is not found in this life, but in the eternal scope of his plan. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10, it keeps going. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Once again, Paul brings us back to the problem and danger of having a temporal focus. Listen, y'all. The issue is not being rich. That's not the issue. You didn't read your Bible right. The issue is not being rich. The issue for the Christian is trusting in those temporal riches. 
That's the issue. The issue is where are you placing your trust? Where does your treasure come from? The issue is loving what those riches can afford you instead of using those resources for the glory of God. The warning Paul is giving in this particular part of the, of the passage of verses 9 and 10, the warning Paul is giving to Timothy is that of having a heart that gets its satisfaction from what this world can give you. The thing that Paul is wanting to teach Timothy and he's hoping that Timothy will teach other faithful men also is this, your heart cannot find its satisfaction from this world. It cannot be satisfied by what this world gives it and I'm telling you right now, we're not there as a church. We're not. We're in love with the world and the things of the world. And the world does give us satisfaction. And it does give contentment. And it does give us our perceived peace. Instead, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.11, that he must flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Guys, we can't be a people that gets our satisfaction from what this world can give. Well, what does that have to do with the teacher? Listen, if I am in love with the world, if I'm satisfied by the world, I'm going to teach in such a way to where the world will love me back. And so the things that come out of my mouth, I'm going to speak in such a way, whether from the pulpit, in my home, at my work, I'm going to speak in such a way to say, do you love me now? It changes the message. The message is different. Instead, Paul tells Timothy to flee those things. And then lastly, Paul uses the example of the soldier. 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We are now finally told to fight as a soldier, and specifically, what does Paul say to the soldier? Lay hold on eternal life. Everything from 1 Timothy 6, 1 up until verse 12, can you guys see how everything is coming into focus? It's all coming into focus. The servant, the teacher, those that are rich, and the soldier, it's all coming into frame. How? Your labor, your instruction, and even the resources that God has given you, they all revolve around a battle of eternal matters. Everything that God has given you and in whatever station you find yourself in today, it all revolves around a battle, a battle of eternal matters. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So why was, the, why was the soldier chosen in this last chapter? You want to know why? A soldier fights. 
A soldier fights, but not for himself. He fights for a king. It's all for the king. And listen, you know what the soldier, you know how the soldier fights? The, the soldier fights in submission to who? His master. Interesting. And he follows the instructions of his who? Teacher. Number two, a soldier fights for a kingdom. A soldier fights for, he not only fights, but he fights for a kingdom, but the kingdom is not his own. Unlike those who are rich and they've trusted in their riches, unlike the false teachers, the soldier isn't building his own kingdom. Number three, a soldier uses none of his own resources other than his body and yet has perfect provision. A soldier doesn't go to war with his own tools, with his own weapons. No, the king provides the soldier with the resources that he needs. He realizes his body belongs to the king. Because of this, he must steward it well as a good soldier. 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, the soldier has no concern for personal riches because his king provides for his every need. The temptation of temporal riches is not enticing because he is fed by the king who gives him a place to rest. Whatever the soldier needs to be successful, the king has provided. The soldier knows these things. Are you a soldier? The king provides the weapons to win the war and the king provides the intelligence to win the war. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And number four, a soldier is invested in the expansion of the kingdom. The kingdom expansion brings greater glory and honor to his king. This is the duty of the soldier. Not that the people will know the name of the soldier, but that those in the world will know the name of the king. He takes land, but it is not for himself. The land is not his own, but his desire is that the king would commune in the land that he won. Here's land that we took from the enemy. Oh God, would you commune in this land? It's not mine, it's yours. It's not mine, it's yours. And so listen, are you a servant? Do you know that your work is unto the Lord? Do you know that your worth comes from him? Are you a teacher? And if so, what are you teaching? What are you hoping to achieve? What audience are you, are you, are you grasping for? Where does your motivation come from? Have you set your affection on things above rather than the temporal distractions of this life? Are you trusting in your resources? Have you placed your faith in the riches of, of this life? Am I placing my faith in, in all the things that I can amass in this life? Does my heart, does it desire the best that this world can give me? Is that where I still am? And lastly, once again, are you a soldier? Are you laying hold on eternal life? Or have you become entangled with the affairs of this life, distracted by the pleasantries that come with making this world your home? In all these ways, the slave, the teacher, 
the soldier, they contrast the temporally minded believer, their work, you see, they work, they teach, and they even fight for another city. They're ambassadors for another throne. They recognize that they belong to someone else. And their work as it relates to the gospel ministry is unto the Lord. Let's have the worship team come forward. Father, I ask God that you would use today's message from 1 Timothy 6. As we are servants, teachers, God, you have made us rich for sure. And as soldiers, God, that we would see that we cannot have a temporal mind any longer, that we have to focus on eternity. Lord, I just ask that if, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they could realize today that they could be one with you again. For those who are here and that they do know you and, and they call you Savior, that God, we turn away from our temporal focus, turn away from the things that are distracting us from your work. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.